Hello, and welcome to the Breathe Easy podcast for the Pediatrics Assembly. My name is Christy Sadramelli, and I'm an assistant professor of pediatric pulmonology at Johns Hopkins. We have a very exciting topic today, childhood interstitial and diffuse lung disease, also known as CHILD. My guests today are Drs. Emily DeBoer, Lisa Young, and Robin Detterday. Dr. Emily DeBoer is an assistant professor of pediatrics at University of Colorado and Children's Hospital Colorado. She collaborates with Drs. Detterding and Young on research in CHILD focused on imaging and outcome. Emily will be the co-moderator of our discussion today. Dr. Lisa Young is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics, Medicine, and Cell and Developmental Biology at Vanderbilt University, where she is Director of the Rare Lung Diseases Program, Director of the Center for Childhood Lung Research, and the Janie Robinson and Johns Moore Lee Endowed Chairholder in Pediatrics. She leads an NIH-funded research program that combines laboratory-based and patient-oriented approaches to to research focused on genetic and interstitial lung diseases. She is the PI of the U.S. National Registry for Childhood Interstitial and Diffuse Lung Diseases. Dr. Robin Detterding is a professor of pediatrics and chief of pediatric pulmonology and sleep medicine at the University of Colorado. She is medical director of the Breathing Institute at the Children's Hospital Colorado, medical director for the Children's Hospital Colorado Center for Innovation, and the Ed and Roxanne Fee Anderson Family Endowed Chair for Breathing. Her clinical research interest has been defining personalized medicine for children through biomarkers, proteomics, and new innovative technologies, resulting in the creation of three companies. She is the director of the Children's Interstitial Lung Disease Research Network. Welcome, and thanks to you all for joining us today. So I'm going to get started with my first question, and you guys can take turns answering. Um, Robin and Lisa, how did you get interested in interstitial lung disease, and how did you first get started in the ILD field? Well, this is Robin. I will uh, jump into that question first. You know, things happen in your career, and it early in your career, and it can last a lifetime, and that's how it's been for me with this uh, area, taking care of these kids with these rare interstitial and diffuse lung disease. When I, when I came to Colorado to do my fellowship in pediatric pulmonary, I had the good fortune of working with Dr. Leland Fand, a giant in the field of pediatric pulmonary, but also uh, really a, a, a father of this field of pediatric interstitial lung disease. And Leland was doing a lot of, uh, of defining disease processes in Colorado, uh, working with adult colleagues and uh, others to see if he could further this field. That was very exciting to me, and I ended up doing my research work on interstitial lung disease, mostly adult-focused and developmental lung disease. Through that process, I also met other mentors in the adult pulmonary world who were studying and passionate about adults with interstitial lung disease. And so for me, it was really this combination of terrific mentors taking care of patients that had difficult problems in their families and uh, realizing that this is an area that excited me, this is an area that needed needed attention. Uh, and so I started taking care of kids with Leland and thinking with the adults about how to take care of kids differently based on what the adult folks were learning. And it was really through that process that uh, there was a grant that the adult, our adult colleagues uh, achieved and received through the NIH, the Rare 
Lung Disease Consortium, and they encouraged me to jump in, think about organizing this field with Leland and others, including Lisa, who was a fellow at the time, and see if we could organize and do something in this field. And, you know, when you take care of families and kids with these diseases, I was saying, I don't know, I don't know, we don't have answers, way too much. So it was the right thing to do, and our adult colleagues and people around the country really helped us. So we, we organized with the help of the Rare Lung Disease Consortium, uh, and we uh, started forming the, the Child Research Network with people around the country. So it's been a, a fantastic journey. There are still so many questions unanswered and a big need for these kids, but it's been very rewarding. And it, it speaks to the importance of mentors and patients uh, and, and finding your way, and that was really my story. Excellent. And I think it's really interesting how pediatrics and adult mentors were connected at the beginning. I think that's, that's yes. really interesting. And your background in med peds um, probably yes. helped you, too. Um, mm-hmm. Great. Okay, Lisa, I'd like to hear from you as well. So thank you, and thank you for hosting this. Um, I think I, I really agree with what Robin said, and I'll I'll just expand on a few things that are they're actually quite similar. For me, I, I think I was really motivated by the patients that I that I saw early on. You know, as as Robin says, um, you know, in fact, the first day of my fellowship, uh, one of the first patients I met. Um, was a child with interstitial lung disease that we didn't we didn't understand the etiology at the time. Uh, he was actually the son of of Greg Porta, who later became the founder of the Child Foundation, um, a, wow. a nonprofit patient advocacy group. And and Greg um, also has made tremendous contributions to the ATS. He served as president uh, of the American Thoracic Society Public Advisory Roundtable or PAR. Um, has been involved in, in a lot of advocacy efforts, and so that was just really a, a chance occurrence uh, early on that had a profound impact on me. And the things that were going on in, in Cincinnati when I was a fellow at that time um, were a couple things that really really shaped my my clinical and scientific interests. Um, similar to Robin, I, I had the fortune to work with some adult pulmonologists um, who were you know thinking about rare lung diseases and genetic lung diseases across the AIDS spectrum. So Frank McCormick was my mentor there. He had founded, uh, served as scientific director with the Lamb Foundation um, and helped me a lot in this space. And Bruce Tra- with Bruce Trapnell, who was studying pulmonary alveolar proteinosis, there was really a lot of energy and focus for solving rare lung diseases and thinking very translationally. And around that time, um, there was a lot of uh, advances in understanding surfactant genetic disorders. Um, Larry Nogi, um, and with in collaboration with Jeff Whitsett and others in Cincinnati, were um, uncovering the basis of things that we had just call, you know called idiopathic for years. And so, sort of these constellation of things for me showed me that there were patients who who needed care, that needed science brought to bear on their disease, and that um, these disorders could be solvable. And so my Choices to focus in this field came out of um, that inspiration from from patients um, and seeing science um, come forward in a way that could really help these patients. Great, thanks so much, Robin. You and Lisa both mentioned um, you know you were getting people interested. You were finding the people who were interested all over the country, and then and then it turned into the Child Network. How did how did that just turn into the Child Network? 
what work did that take, and then what is the child network now? Well, um, that's a really good question. It's been amazing uh, to see what's happened, but in 2004, we, with the encouragement from uh, Frank McCormick, Bruce Trepnell, who had formed the Rare Lung Disease Consortium, some of our adult colleagues that I knew and that Lisa knew who had this grant, they said, we will give you funding. Come have a conference. It's working in these adult diseases to have these researchers come together and have patients, have a patient advocacy group. So look at our playbook for LAM, it's an adult disease. Look at our playbook and, and see if you can do it and we'll help support you. So our adult colleagues were tremendously helpful in, in, in bringing us to this process. And so with that, this, this is an area that people are passionate about. It's hard to take care of these families and not know the answer. So we began calling people. Uh, I partnered with Lisa, so I've known Lisa a long time. And even as a fellow, she was a leader in this field. And we, we started calling colleagues. And having, we had a, a conference at the Rare Lung Disease Conference. And for two days, we talked about what was childhood ILD and diffuse lung disease. How could we organize it? How could we move forward with this? And at the same time, we invited six patients. Uh, and they took a leap of faith to come and talk about what do patients need. And Greg Porter was one of those patients. We had patients from Colorado and in different places around the country. And out of that meeting grew such an excitement about what could be, what was needed, that two organizations were formed, um, loosely formed. I mean, we don't have we don't have nonprofit status at least on the research network side, but. The, rare, the Childhood Research Network was formed. The Child, Children's Interstitial and Diffuse Lung Disease Research Network was formed. And the Child Foundation was formed. The parents got together and began to talk. And both of these organizations became in existence in 2004. But it took everybody to be excited. It took the idea that this was important. There was a need. There was confusion. And we could do something about it. And there were leaders who were in neonatology and pathology, um, as I said, adult ILD, imaging. All of those people were at the table to make this, this work. And then there was a project so that we could do a research project together to bring people even closer to begin to define the field. So it took work. It took passion. It took people having a leap of faith that this was the right thing. And it took some funding from uh, our adult colleagues who had the opportunity to help us. So, uh, and the whole journey has, you know, people have continued to give of their time. We have not had, we have not had funding since 2004, and yet we have continued to have monthly meetings where at this point in time, 23 children's hospitals around the country participate in monthly meetings. To be a member of the Child Research Network now uh, we require that people participate in our monthly meetings, which are half business and half case presentation and knowledge sharing, that they do an annual review of their centers in our annual review survey we send out, that they participate in our educational activities, and that they refer, refer patients for research and for advocacy. And loosely defined, that's what people have been committed to doing, and it started 
small, but as I said, now 23 children's hospitals around the country are involved and are in our research network. It is more than we could have imagined on that two-day conference in 2004. So uh, it's possible for other groups, uh, but that's been our journey. And, um, and then we've grown in the research realm uh, to a registry. Um, yeah. Before I, I want to ask Lisa about the registry, but um, Robin, what sticks out is that you involved patients from the beginning. How did you know to do that? How did how did that how did you realize that was important? Again, our adult colleagues, we we had been watching what had been going on uh, in the foundations, the Lamb Foundation, who served as a tremendous. Uh, their structure and their uh, people served as tremendous mentors for us, and, and the CF Foundation. And in those uh, diseases, the patients and the families have an advocacy and the passion that really fuel the excitement for the physicians that this is important, and the physicians and researchers really fuel to the families that there's hope. And it's that circular, continued feeding of this is important, we can do this, and we have a role together that really allows people to keep going. So it was, it was really looking at the playbook of these other foundations and really realizing that it's the families that can push things far greater and far more urgent than the physicians and the scientists. And Lisa might have something to add about that, but it's critically important. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's a fundamental difference in being at a scientific meeting where patients and families are there. Um, investigators are just sh share unpublished data more freely. You know, there's there's no way to, to sit in a room in front of patients and families without thinking, okay, what's just going to move this field forward? What's in their best interest? It, it's a secret sauce that motivates. Um, you know, the graduate students and the PhD postdocs who may otherwise never see patients, um, to all the way to the highest level investigators to figure out how to do the right thing. And um, it really can't be understated. And the, the LAMP Foundation is, is now um, heading to their 25th anniversary, I, I think, um, of, of having conferences with um, integration of patients, families, investigators, and clinicians. And, and that was really a powerful start for us uh, with, with the Child Foundation um, and the Child Network to start that way from the beginning, I think, made all the difference. And I also just want to reiterate what Robin said. You know, at the time, I was a fellow and, and uh, remember, you know, getting to meet experts in our field who were working on this, but it had really been in isolation and um, these disorders weren't really a People knew they were out there, but it wasn't really a, a thing or a part of pediatric pulmonary medicine in a formal way. But, you know, the, the, the Colorado program had long been known as a, as a referral place for interstitial lung disease, but, but ILD or pediatric rare lung disease wasn't really a, a defined thing within our subspecialty. And so if you fast forward now and realize that it's tracked by U.S. News and World Report, it's part of our board exams, and now we have this network of children's hospitals around the country that are committed to this effort, it's, it's a part of our field in a way that, that it wasn't then. And, um, you know, I think Robin's really described nicely how it started. And then how... How, how did the registry form, and what's that doing for the research in the field? Yeah, so, so this network 
really did a lot of things over the years that, that built the foundation for this registry. And as Robin said, our first studies were, um, were, were done to really focus our terminology and find ways to bring people together to define what these disorders were and to understand the scope of them. And so that, that was just tre tremendous work that was done to develop classifications and get people speaking the same language in a way to just organize this field. And so as we completed that work, and then um, we're fortunate to have an ATS clinical practice guideline sponsored in this field, it was really a logical next step to say, all right, how do we move forward together? Now that we have case definitions, um, what would that look like? And so that was the the inspiration for this registry. And so as we were thinking about how, how to do that, we also had encouragement from the NIH, from NHLBI, uh, Carol Blaisdell, who is a program officer then in NHLBI, I'm still at NIH, uh, sponsored a workshop on accelerating progress in pediatric rare lung diseases. And she really challenged me and others to say, how, how are you going to move forward? How, how can you build on um, this momentum and, and all of this foundational work. And some of the priority areas from that workshop really emphasized that we, we had to create some infrastructure in our research community that would allow us to focus on clinical phenotypes and epidemiology and natural history, um, do further work on an understanding the mechanisms and causes of these diseases, but really move forward in how we would measure and improve clinical outcomes moving towards trials. And so this, this is the background that inspired the need for a registry. Um, and so in, in 2016, um, this was established at Vanderbilt using single IRB reliance agreements. And um, this has now become a requirement from NIH for multi-center studies. But a couple years ago, these reliance platforms were just being built. One of them was being built here at Vanderbilt by Dr. Todd Rice, the um, medical director of the IRB here. And um, he helped me get on board with this early, and, and that made all the difference because through reliance agreements, we were able to, to start this registry, which is really a longitudinal observational study um, that in, that's intended to really be a front door as a way to get our centers collaborating together to define the clinical features and the management and outcomes of children with, with child. Um, and to allow us to get an infrastructure that can facilitate the next steps in science and ultimately in clinical trials. So in this short time, it was really just um, remarkable and inspiring how many centers wanted to join and wanted to be part of this. And I think it's because we've, we've learned how this type of infrastructure has facilitated progress in cystic fibrosis and other diseases. And so um, as of now, we have 18 centers. Um, children's hospitals that have IRB approval. Um, there are several more that are pending. And we have uh, 401 eligible subjects um, who are enrolled to date from, from 16 of these centers. So it's really been a tremendous undertaking by these centers. It's, it's all unfunded work that people are doing because these are sick kids. They're patients that they care about and they know need to be connected um, with, our, with our network and with scientists uh, to make progress. Great, thanks. This is Christy again. Um, before I ask my next question, I had a follow-up question to that too, Lisa. You mentioned that it's unfunded. So um, when a center joins, you know, wants to join the registry or take part in it, they don't have to put forth any funds for that. I, I, I've always kind of wondered how that works. Yeah, so I'll answer a little bit and then let Robin comment on it as well. But it. Um, 
it's, it's no cost to join but not paid for doing the work. And so people are donating their time and energy because they think it's important. Um, it's part of their commitment to these patients who are very sick to, to find ways to try to help people learn from them and, and move the field forward. So, so that's correct that, that right now um, there's, no, there's no fee to join, but there's also no payment for, you know, these 400-plus cases that people have entered. They've, they've done that on, um, you know, kind of scraping together their own resources and, and time just because of their commitment to this field, to these kids. Great. Thanks. Um, Robin, anything you wanted to add before I ask my next question? Yeah, I think that um, it's hard to be an unfunded network, and we try to advocate and have strategies to try and increase revenues to the centers to be able to participate. A lot of the big centers have uh, ways to garner some research coordinator time from other projects and have chiefs that are very supportive of these activities. If you look at what the Child Research Network and Registry has become, there aren't many other uh, disease states besides CF that have this type of activity so broadly throughout the country. So I think the pediatric pulmonary community knows that. But um, we are actively still problem uh, addressing the, the solutions to this to bring more revenues because these kids are sick. These kids do need solutions. And the other thing that I just want to mention is these kids with their diseases, many of them genetic, could provide solutions to other diseases um, and other problems, including adult ILD. So we're really advocating to the NIH and to other organizations about grants for these problems uh, and working with pharma to, to think about new therapeutic agents that our kids uh, could, could use, uh, but that will take trials. So, I think the future for our, our network will include funding. The people have hung in there a long time from 2004, and it is, it's really a tribute to how, how um, pediatric pulmonologists care about their patients uh, and have, have made this a priority. Absolutely. Yeah, this is Lisa, and I would just add that, you know, I think part of this has been a commitment to do the groundwork to figure out how we move forward together to, to gather some additional data about how many cases are out there and what types are because child is such a broad field as Robin mentioned. Um, there's so many different types of child that this registry was really a front door to begin to organize ourselves so that we could then um, proceed with the next steps um, and, and go after these types of funding opportunities. Uh, in different areas. So I think we're really well positioned for that now. Thank you. Um, and that leads well into my next question, actually. Um, you know, just thinking about how the both of you got started in this field, you sort of had to start some things at a phase where there wasn't this infrastructure, there wasn't even an umbrella definition of child. It, as you said, Lisa, it wasn't really an entity yet that people were recognizing to say, the, you know, all of these. It, um, lung conditions could be thought about as an entity. Um, but at this point in time, do you have any advice for fellows or junior faculty members who are interested in either their research or clinical care or both for these rare diseases and how they can get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So join us. Um, there, there's many, many opportunities. As Robin said, I, I started as a fellow. I've been mentored by her and by 
um, by others from, a, from afar in the field. Um, I think that's really important in, our, in the subspecialty of pediatric pulmonary. That's a relatively small subspecialty. Um, but with more than probably 200 forms of child, there's, there are disorders for everyone, <laughs> plenty of space. Um, you know, our, our network activities and publications, um, presentations at ATS and other meetings, really we've, I, I can speak to this and I'm trying to do the same to create opportunities for junior folks. So I think, you know, some of it depends on what types of disorders people are interested in, but I encourage people to join our, our, our calls, our monthly network calls in those cases. Come at ATS, we have a special interest group that's meeting. Um, there, there are many ways to get involved, and we've tried to create this infrastructure now where through these children's hospitals, there's already IRB approval in place. There's ways to, you know, for fellows, for example, to be able to launch a project that already has the regulatory approval largely in place. So some of the things that, that can be done from the registry, and there are certainly many things that can be done outside the registry, but we have more work to do to define the radiologic features, to define radiology pathology correlations, genetic discovery. Um, Robin's done great work in biomarkers. We certainly need novel outcome measures, especially for infants and young children. There's really important work to be done evaluating quality of life, the comorbidities, understanding the clinical practice, practice patterns, um, you know, as we get to trials. So I think from, from quality improvement and implementation work all the way to molecular biology, there's, there's something for everyone related to these diseases. Well, I'm feeling inspired. Um, <laughs> um, you know, what if a yes. fellow is not at a place that is part of either the network or the registry? Do you think it's still reasonable for them to look into doing a research project? I do. Um, I think it's important to have mentors on site within one's own program, but there can be career mentors and there can be um, project-specific mentors, and, and this can happen um, across, across institutions with the right commitments in place. So, so yes, I would invite anyone with that to, to reach out to us, and um, we'll work with, with fellowship directors and, and mentors to think about what those options might look like. Um, Robin, this, this is there anything is, you want to add? Yes. So, you know, we, at some of the bigger centers, uh, certainly in Colorado, and I know uh, Dr. Young has done this too, we host fellows and, and sometimes junior faculty who want to come on site and experience and learn more about child to be able to understand and then take this back to where they're going. We've, we've hosted people from around the world and, and within the, um, the U.S. so people can come spend time. And so I think the network is trying to have some of the bigger centers do that. I would also say that I, I think child is, is going to be one of those transformative, um, really pediatric pulmonary with CF, with some of the surfactant dysfunctions in genetics and some of the new CRISPR technologies and some of the gene editing and regenerative medicine. As Lisa said, there's just an array of research opportunities that can really make a difference in caring for these kids but, but leading the field forward for um, not just child but other ways we understand the, the lungs. So like Lisa says, jump in. This is a, very, this is a group that's worked since 2004 every month to try and make things better for kids, and it's a very nurturing and supportive group of trainees. 
uh, and we're committed uh, to the next generation of people who want to do this. And it's it's now uh, easier than ever to hop in and find a career now in this child uh, area. Excellent. Thank you so much. This is Emily. I would just reiterate that everything they said is true, and you know, it started with people being passionate and now people volunteering their time, and I'm lucky to be here at Colorado with Robin, but Lisa mentors me, and when you go to the child research meeting, it does have the feeling of the North American CF Conference, that it's very motivating and Everyone is there to do good work, and they've all chosen to be there, and it's, um, you know, it makes you feel joy in your job that you're really doing something good. So I think it's um, not easy, but it's a very rewarding path to stay involved with. Um, Robin, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about relation or um, similarities to the CF Foundation and I think throughout my career people talked about the CF Foundation was the model for rare lung disease and now people are really talking about the Child Foundation and the Child Network are the current model like it's recent you did it um, what what lessons did you learn what advice can you give to the other rare diseases who are organizing now? So I think you learn from looking around and uh, what works. So uh, CF has been a tremendous organization in the pediatric world to look at. I had the good fortune of being at one of the largest centers and having Frank Accurso here and, and watching uh, collaborative care happen and passion around these diseases. and. I do get asked by other groups, like, what should we do? And um, what what happens is everybody gets the onesies, twosies, threesies, foursies experts around the country. And that's okay, but it's not, it doesn't build a movement. You really have to reach out and collaborate uh um, be vulnerable and like I don't know everything about how to do this, but I know we're gonna we're gonna all work together, and we have to first define what this means. But the experts have to to reach out across the country and bring people with them, collaborate across the field, not just pediatric pulmonary. It may be imaging and neonatology and pathology. That's what it was for us because that was necessary speech, nutrition. So you have, to, you have to look outside your own program at the other leaders and begin to build a strategy to bring others in. And so having, a, having an event, having a project to work on is just an, an igniting event about bringing people together and starting to form these cohesions. And that was just a, a clear benefit from us. We, we started with the group, but if we'd gone away and not had a project, that would have, you know, it wouldn't have continued. So you have to collaborate, reach across, not be afraid of, of uh, not knowing the answers, 
and find the project that can help define the field with, with definitions that you can continue to move forward. I think those are the learning and inspire people by the doctors telling stories and the patients telling stories. So uh, that's what I would say. I'm sure Lisa has things to add. No, I, I agree. And this is really, in my view, the future of, of pediatric pulmonary and a lot of the work that we do. If you think about the types of problems we see, very few of them are limited only to the lung. Most of them intersect with other systemic diseases, with other organ systems, with other, you know, they're, they're multidisciplinary problems. And we are learning to organize our clinical activity in that way to provide the best care, you know, in the same way that we, we do combined airway procedures. Um, many different areas, this is how we approach the care of patients, and we need to think about our research activity in that way, too. This is what's going to move the field forward. There aren't enough pediatric pulmonologists, though we welcome more. Um, the care and the research for these kids is, is going to happen across disciplines and, and through these types of networks, but it works best, as Robin said, if the patient motivation is clear and if people come together around specific projects. That, that's what builds momentum. Great. Um, thanks to everyone. Is there anything else anyone on the call would like to add that we haven't gone over? Well, I just want to thank you and the American Thoracic Society for the support for both this podcast and, and also for the activities over the years. Um, this has really provided a lot of ways to bring people together around some of these specific projects and uh, I think has advanced the field tremendously. Yes, I, I, I would like to echo what Lisa has said. The American Thoracic Society has been uh, very important for us to organize nationally. I might mention that though we started the Child Foundation and the Child Research Network in, in the U.S., there are now research networks and family foundations around the world uh, that have, have begun and that we are now collaborating with. So. Um, the ATS has been extremely important in allowing that conversation, allowing places to meet, uh, and being supportive. Uh, and finally, I, I think these things are tremendously important to, to inspire us and remind us what we do and to provide hope uh, to families. Working in isolation and, and caring for kids is so important. But if we're not looking and pushing for the next best treatment the next best care, the cures, we're not doing all that we need to do. And that's what this network is about, and that's what the Child Foundation is about too, and that's what has to happen to elevate care to the next level. Thank you. Um, I really, really appreciate you all taking the time to join us today. I found today's discussion to be incredibly inspiring and very informative as well. Um, our listeners may find out more about the Child Foundation at child-foundation.org where there is a lot of information on clinical aspects and also research opportunities and other information for both providers and families. Are there any other uh, resources we should mention? Good. Okay. Well, thanks again to everyone, um, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>